Welcome to Ask AI, the podcast that brings you insightful interviews and news from the world of Canadian artificial intelligence. This episode is sponsored by Microsoft Canada. Microsoft is committed to building trusted and responsible AI systems. To learn more, go to microsoft.com AI and check out their free AI business school to start building intelligence into your solutions today. We're also sponsored by Cinchi, the global leader in data fabric technology. Visit cinchi.com to learn how to eliminate integration and turbocharge your AI transformation. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ask AI podcast, where we interview top AI talent from across Canada. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by Dr. Amit Dashwar, the Vice President and Head of Predictive Systems at Deep Genomics. Under his leadership, Deep Genomics has developed more than 40 machine learning models of molecular phenotypes and worked on all sorts of fascinating diseases that we're going to hear more about today. Before Deep Genomics, he interned at Google and built a highly distributed log parsing system and has bachelor's degrees from in software engineering and psychology from the University of Calgary. And his PhD is from the University of Toronto, where he studied machine learning for oncology, very specifically. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to Dr. Amit Deshwar. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Really excited for today's conversation, Melissa. Yeah, and as as you know, we're going to talk a little bit about you and your journey to help inspire some of our viewers. And we're going to walk through a little bit more about deep genomics as well and hear more about what you're excited about for the future of AI. So that's roughly going to be our framework for today. But getting started on you and your background, you know, when you look at a PhD from U of T, it seems like a pretty traditional path. In what ways has it been untraditional? I mean, I think that using machine learning as applied to computational biology is actually not that not that traditional. Um, if you look at the distribution of topics, you know where people in machine learning are working on, it's really heavily focused on the more classical machine learning problems of vision, of text, models of video, things like that. And in contrast, I think that machine learning applied to biology and medicine is a much smaller field, but it's like, that's the reason why I got into it, where I felt that the data that we're working with is brand new. And the fact that it's so underexplored means that I could have much greater, much greater impact in the field. And of course, for me, the field itself has a lot of intrinsic motivation in providing benefits to people's health and health and well-being. That's fascinating. I love the way you talk about that. You were able to choose a field where you could have a marginal impact on the field itself and have big impact in your work every day at a company as, you know, quote unquote, small as, but of course, growing deep genomics. And, you know, what else did you think about? Maybe just give our listeners two or three other frameworks and considerations when you were deciding I'm going to pick this really unique area of machine learning for biology. Well, the, those two, those two components, one is what impact does the field have on the world and how big is that impact? And I think that as like maybe especially exemplified by all the work during the, during the pandemic on vaccines and treatments for COVID biotechnology has a huge impact on the world and on affecting 
things that I and like many others care about. And then the second component is that how much impact would my contributions have? And that's where the marginal contribution is something that I think more people should be thinking about as they're choosing, choosing, choosing their own, their own career path. That what will the field look like if you're not working in there versus if you are and picking fields, focus areas where you can have that greater marginal impact means that, you know, your career has a greater impact on the world. And so those two things, what the impact of the field, the impact of like my contributions or whoever's listening, their contributions um, have on that field are really the most important things to be looking at. That's really nifty. I like that. I definitely was like, ooh, when you talk about, you know, think about what would the field be like if you weren't there? And that is so incredibly powerful. Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, this framework isn't something like I came up with in the effective altruism community. This kind of is the framework that they think about. And uh, while I can't say that I'm like in the EA community, I do read a lot of their things and know a lot of people in that world. And that kind of thinking is very common as what I, I adopted as well. Amazing. Well, thank you for giving credit where credit is due. I appreciate that. And, you know, one of the other things we talked about was the growth of deep genomics and how you chose to be there. I mean, you started in 2016 as a research scientist and in 2021 became a VP at deep genomics. And I know, you know, you'd kind of mentioned when we had spoken earlier that Google, at, when you entered at Google, it was 20,000 people. And then you, you took a risk and you went with this Canadian company and seven or eight people at deep genomics when you started and now 120 today. Talk to me about that journey. That's amazing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the decision to work at a smaller organization was, I think, related to that marginal contribution thinking where Google has succeeded without me being there. And I think that if I was there, would the company be in a fundamentally different position? I mean, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> And so then it was, okay, where can I be where my contributions will have a major impact on the organization? And a small company like Deep Genomics, I mean, still is, but especially was when I started as a place where I felt that I could. And see, a similar thinking has shaped my career decisions where as the company got bigger, I kind of had to, there's like multiple ways to focus your career. You can stay focused on the science, be an individual contributor, or you can, as I did, move more into management and leadership. And my thinking when facing that choice was similar, that I felt that I could have a greater impact on the organization through the management slash leadership track. And I think that, yeah, that everyone, when they're, when they're deciding on their own career trajectory, should be thinking about that. But it's not like a global thing where it's not that only for everyone, the management track is the way they can have the most impact. It depends a lot on your own relative strengths and then what the what the organization needs. And so those things are what shape my decision to be on the management leadership track and end up in the role that I am right now. Yeah. And, and that's something, you know, you hit on something that I think is really important and frankly not talked about enough, particularly in Canada. It's something that I think tech companies do a really great job of, but 
I've seen other professions in Canada have not been as strong, and that's the keeping individual contributors as individual contributors and compensating them accordingly across their careers. I know, you know, you see this in government. I had a brief stint in government, and I think 20% of the population in Canada is works in some form of government, whether that's municipal, provincial, or federal. And in healthcare, teachers, like you really don't see those big salary bumps unless you go into management. It almost forces people. So I really respect that you said, hey, look, the management track was for me, but it's not for everyone. And that is something that I wish we saw more of outside of tech, where you're saying, hey, you're an all-star teacher. And because you're an all-star teacher and you've been at this for 30 years, we're not going to just pay you 85 grand, which is like your cap. We're going to pay you 100, 150, you know, things like that. That's something I'd love to see across other fields that fortunately tech does do well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like a really, really important point where it's unfortunate that, yeah, in many other industries, you kind of, if you do want to stay as an individual contributor, you make big compromises on other factors. And that means that people who could be contributing more as individual contributors don't, that compensation plays a role in so many other aspects of your life. And so, and, and it's just this big, it's this big pull that you can focus on and think about. And it, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like the organization should be caring most about, you know, how can we accomplish our goals most effectively? And that means that people who are best as individual contributors should be doing that. And then people who are best at management should be doing that. And uh, yeah, luckily tech has realized that and across, across the industry, there are you know, parallel ladders and strong forces that help people stay on the individual contributor track. That's the best place for them. Yeah, absolutely. And staying more focused on deep genomics and, you know, we've heard your, your career growth there and why you made the decisions you did to, to stay, to grow from a research scientist to move into being a VP. I want to understand more about deep genomics because, you know, molecular phenotype approach to machine learning for drug discovery. Though it sounds really cool, listen, I got two science degrees and I can barely make sense of that. So <laughs> help, you know, Reddit style, explain it like I'm five for our viewers and listeners. You know, what what does deep deep genomics do in a palpable, easy to understand way? So we know that genetics play a major role in our health. And this can be seen through I mean, many different scientific investigations into what causes some people to get disease and other people's not to, to not, not get it. And so a, a tempting thing to do can be to just say, okay, I want to predict someone's disease state purely from their uh, DNA. And the problem with that is that it's just too complicated of a problem and we don't have enough data to make that make that tractable and so one of the things that that brendan who founded deep genomics realized early on in his career or like not early on in his career early in his uh switch from more classical machine learning to machine learning computational biology is that a simpler problem with more data is how do you go from genotypes your dna to specific molecular properties within your cell. So what is the expression level of different transcripts in your cell? And like I said, that problem, we have more data and it's just a lot simpler than going all the way 
from genotype to disease. And so what <clears throat> we've been building are machine learning models that predict how genetic perturbations affect those cell states or molecular phenotypes um, directly, and then go from there to how those affect disease. And focusing our modeling on these intermediate variables enable us to, to make that make that possible. Fascinating. And maybe we can go to an example now. You know, your website says, any gene, any genetic condition, and you've got a few disease areas listed, and I know that you wanted to highlight one of those and, and talk through a little bit about how you're thinking about these complex problems and a little bit about the solution, of course, without giving away your IP and trade secrets, but just give us a little taste. So I think a great uh, example of that is our approach to developing a therapy for frontotemporal dementia caused by mutations in the uh, progranulin gene. And what the, the, the disease is caused by insufficient levels of progranulin. And this causes uh, progressive deterioration in the brain leading to dementia. By taking what we know about the genetics, that mutations in that gene cause the disease, the causality between or the causality of the disease is very well established. We can then develop therapeutics that act on that intermediary product of progranulin protein. And so we design uh, and then test therapeutics that directly increase levels of uh, progranulin. And our machine learning models make it possible for us to identify in advance which compounds in the class that we're developing are likely to do that. And so we can evaluate in silico hundreds of thousands of possible compounds and select a much smaller number that we think are most likely to work and advance those into actual testing um, in cells, animal models, and then eventually patients. Whoa. I mean, that's that's huge. And, you know, dementia affects so many people. I've even had a grandparent who had it. And it's it's amazing to think that in the future, we because we have a well-established causality of this, this disease, it's amazing to know that in the future, companies like Deep Genomics can actually potentially provide solutions down the, down the line, right? That that makes me really excited. And it it really changes what you think about when you think about, hey, we're living till 80, 90 years old. The quality of life transformation that can happen through reducing, and I always get these mixed up, incidence prevalence, but whichever, incidence prevalence or both um, of, of these uh, diseases that impact us across our, our lifespan it changes what a high quality of life means at 80, at 90. And I think that's really neat. Like really, really neat. Uh, yeah. I mean, me too. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I think that, you know, going back to the uh, impact component that that's what is like most exciting about the work that I do here. Um, the science is cool. The machine learning is cool, but the real reason why I'm here and why the company exists is to uh, improve people's health. Yeah, and that's 
that's something we had touched on in our in our earlier call the the consequences for the world the consequences for the world for deep genomics and what you can bring to the world it's it's huge it it is incredible and to think that this is happening in canada makes me very very happy <laughs> and with that you know i noticed you have some pretty fancy folks involved uh particularly steve who's also engaged with uh you know SpaceX and Tesla and you know how how do you go about you know even Vinod Kosla like this, this is incredible the people that you have engaged with this Canadian company and to the extent that you are aware or have seen it over time you know how have the founders how has Brandon been able to make this happen for this Canadian company that has truly global premier global investors and interests that that's incredible I mean, I think there's there's two things. So one is that um, these investors realize that talent is everywhere and that it's not that the only people capable of transforming industries live in Silicon Valley. And and so they wanna they wanna help um, entrepreneurs and companies um, wherever they can. Um, and so they're not, you know, really limited by geographic region. Um, of course, some areas are easier for them to invest in, but they're definitely not limited to uh, only a few places. And then, you know, the the harder part is how to convince people who invest in tech to invest in a multidisciplinary company like Deep Genomics. That's not a pure classical tech company. And I think there's there's two major things there. One is that they understand that uh, if you really want to change the way that an industry happens, you need to invest in in entrepreneurs. They've seen that in like many other places. They see the huge issues with productivity in research and development in the biotech industry. And they want to help make that change possible. Yeah, it's true. It's a it's a complicated company. This is not basic. Oh, here's our software. We've made this teeny tiny process in the very large scheme of a company. This itty bitty thing in a very big company, much more efficient. And look at the millions and billions of dollars. Like this is lives are at stake. The regulation you have to face. Like there, there's just so many things when you're doing specialized. AI tech in, you know, a molecular phenotype approach to <laughs> computational biology. Like this, this is wild. I, I'm just so impressed and so excited for you and where you're going. And, you know, with that, with the exciting things that deep genomics is up to, what else are you seeing in the field of AI that is exciting you? I mean, I think that we are seeing a transformation, even within deep learning to, uh, as to what models and how much data can be reasonably used by them. The success of transformer-based models, I think has you know, really revolutionized uh, images and text. And then we're just in the process of seeing that uh, also transform the way that we build machine learning models for uh, computational biology. And so, yeah, the, the success of the transformer-based models 
total game changer in terms of how much data can you effectively use, how to capture really long-term dependencies uh, between like within your input data. And yeah, we're, we're seeing it everywhere and excited to see that in computational biology as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, last couple questions here as we come towards the end of our time, we like to keep these tight and interesting and you don't want to drone on for too long on these podcasts. So talk to me about what's exciting you specifically in Canada right now. Like what is happening in the Canadian landscape? Maybe it's other companies, maybe it's interesting research, maybe it's some of your former professors at U of T or maybe some folks you know at the University of Calgary. What are some exciting things that you think are happening right now in Canada that continues to cement our place as a top AI global superpower, really? So I think one is the continued huge successes of our universities in AI research. And so this is the Vector Institute, this is Mila, uh, this is other places across Canada that continue to have an outsized impact on the field. Um, you know, deep learning was created in Canada um, by Jeff Hinton and his students. And we like continue to play a major role in research in, in the AI field. On like the broader sense has been, I think the most exciting thing is that, you know, we were, I think a bit of an outlier in the early days in attracting so much funding to Canada, but that's becoming less of an outlier thing. There's more and more companies uh, being founded and built in Canada. Um, I think one like exciting example is Cohere, which is in which is in Toronto. That's building these large large uh, language models like related to the GPT family of models that OpenAI has built, and they're not you know, they're not doing it anywhere else. They're doing it, they're doing it in Canada. And so the combination of continued huge impacts on research and then a new wave of companies uh, being founded and built in Canada. Absolutely. I, I like that, the connection between, yes, we're a research, like strong stronghold. We have incredible research happening, but let's also look at the new wave of companies that are getting funding, that are growing, that are scaling domestically. And that that's huge when you think of ownership. It's one thing to have RSUs in big American companies that are moving to Canada. It's another thing where the founders are Canadian, the founding team is Canadian, and you build that wealth domestically. And I, I love that you brought that up, the new wave of companies. Yeah, and I, I think the really interesting thing is how that forms this self-sustaining you know, flywheel of innovation, where it's the founders and early employees of successful companies that become the the funders of the next wave of companies, especially in that, you know, delicate, easy to die zone of angel and seed investments. And I think that is the key thing to building a, this is like a, a cliche term, but like the innovation economy. And it, it comes from people taking very high risk bets on startups and the people who are best able to understand those risks and not only accept them, but like are excited by it are people who have done it before, who have built their own companies, have seen companies grow from the early days. And so I think there's like a big wave now, but it's only going to grow bigger um, as, as these people 
you know, their companies succeed and then they're in a position to be able to fund, fund other companies. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. I love it. And it's always good to see, yeah, that self-sustaining flywheel of innovation. And it's, it's just so true in, in Canada, you know, one of the things as a founder myself that you always see is the Canadian investing landscape at seed, they almost, you know, at seed and pre-seed, they want you to have what the Bay Area considers series A metrics. And so that's what we need more and more of these people to be more successful and to be able to say, hey, we are going to take even bigger risks, maybe not entirely, but perhaps more comparable to the Bay Area, to these other places. We're going to take on almost as much risk as them right early on in that pre-seed and seed stage, because that's exactly what Canada needs. And I'm so excited to hear that. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Anything that our listeners really need to know, whether it's about you and your story and your journey, or about deep genomics, or about, you know, computational biology? Tell us, what else do we need to know? Um, I think there's two things. I think, you know, one, I want to encourage people to think about using their technical skills in computational biology. Um, there's a huge number of highly impactful problems to be solved. Um, I can't say we've solved them all. There's still, there's still a ton to do. And kind of our, one of the bottlenecks to solving it is people who know machine learning to want to use their skills in that area. So I think that's one. And then the second is to Take advantage of these changes and consider staying staying in Canada. Um, there's in the past for you know many people, the place for them to have a lot of impact would be they get their degree in Toronto, Waterloo, other places, and then immediately move to the US. And that like, you know, I think may have made sense in the past, but I think it makes less sense now and is gonna make even less sense. Uh, going forward. So, yeah, consider staying in Canada. Woohoo. I mean, it's, it, I agree that in the future, it is going to be, it's going to make less sense to, to go stateside. I think increasingly you are going to see that flywheel being strong enough domestically. And I agree that in the future, we're, we're definitely going to get there. So that's awesome. So, it, you know, to wrap that up, we need to continue to solve these high impact problems in computational biology. Please. For our data scientists, listeners out there, aspiring data scientists, go into computational biology, and I'm sure they can reach out to you on like LinkedIn, Abs right? Doctor, I mean, absolutely, like, absolutely. Um, happy to happy to talk to anyone about um, about about computational biology or just in general, like you know, what are the opportunities to have impact? Awesome, and you know, a, a closing thought is. You've been at a company, you've seen it grow from seven or eight people to 120. That alone is impressive. That doesn't always happen. It, it's very hard to be a part of that growth. Any final words of wisdom to get through those growing pains or for other Canadian companies who are like on death's door and, but also may get this funding. Maybe there are 30 people now and you're like, just, you can do it. You gotta get there. Like any words of wisdom for those on that track, it, it, somewhere between seven or eight people and 120 people. Say something to those companies. I think my, yeah, my biggest advice there that I've seen, you know, not only at Deep Genomics, but in, in other places is that the same techniques, organization process that got you from 
8 to 30 isn't going to work from 30 to 60 and then isn't going to work again from 60 to 120. And so it's important to like be constantly reevaluating just how your company is organized, how is work organized. And you can either wait until you're like forced to because it's not working or you can be preemptive and be like, hey, look, we're about to grow a lot. How can we get ahead of those changes and set up set up our company to succeed at the next level of size? Very, very sage advice. One of the co-founders of House also told me that, Adi, um, which is so funny. You've got an interior design company, computational biology company saying the same thing. What served you to get from, you know, zero to one is not going to get you from one to 10 and from 10 to hundred and so on and so forth. So very sage advice. Thank you so much for your time. I think you've provided some great nuggets on how to have impact, how to pick high impact areas, the challenges that the world needs to be solved and what these fields look like if you're not there and making very deliberate and thoughtful choices, not just in what field you go into, but also where you work and then what your trajectory is where you work. Those are three things that came through very clearly in this interview. So thank you so much, Dr. Amit Dashwar. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me here. Excited to talk about these things. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. And thanks as always to our generous sponsors, Microsoft Canada and Cinchi, the dataware platform. Don't forget to also check out our team check-ins, which are a great way to get your message across on our podcast and YouTube channel. You can get all the information at askai.org, askai.org. That's it for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask AI podcast. The sponsors of this episode were Microsoft Canada, producers of the Free AI Business School, and Cinchi, the dataware platform that makes integration obsolete. The series producer was Chris McClellan. The series editor was James Fajardo. Original music was provided by Mike Letourneau. To learn how to be featured on our podcast and get information about sponsorship and volunteering opportunities, please visit our website at askai.org, send us an email to info at askai.org, or talk to our bot by visiting askai.org forward stroke chatbot.